have to help me out tonight because Jeff, you know, he's going to be, he's chilling out today. He's being fed. And so he's sitting down, but he's done told me, he said, hey, I'm going to be part of the heckling crowd. So y'all, y'all are going to have to, you know, you know, keep him down. That's right. Yeah, and I was going to say, uh, if we have any youth or students in here, uh, they can go ahead and, and head out. The students will be back up in the youth room uh, and the students down in the children's building. So, woohoo! Sorry. You, oh, you're good. Go ahead. You, you go take care of those kids. Bless you. So we're going to dive right in, uh, and we're going to be in Galatians. We're going to be primarily in uh, two parts. So we're going to be in Galatians 2, and then we're also going to be in Acts uh, 15. And so that's going to be our primary focus tonight. Uh, we'll get into, I'll explain a little more about that, you know, in a little bit. But last week we opened up this series, this Freedom in Christ series, with a few questions. And one I want to kind of bring up again is if the law is in our Bible, what do we do with it? Because we, we asked that, like, hey, are we supposed to follow the law? And pretty much everybody in here was like, well, no, we're not. I mean, we're not supposed to follow the law. Like, we don't have to convert to Judaism. We all agree on that. But why? Why is that? What, you know, and that was, that's a question that kind of brought me on this journey. Is like, we have the law in our Bible. Like, what do I do with this? All right, because that's a very Jewish thing. Uh, and it was the question. The question of the early church was, do the Gentiles need to follow the law? I mean, that was the question. And, I mean, it's, it's not, for us, we're like, well, no, we don't need to follow the law. Like, we're, we're, we have freedom in Christ. You know, it's only through Jesus we're saved. But let me ask you a couple more questions. Did Jesus follow the law? Yes. Jesus followed the law. He was a devout Jew. And so he kept, he kept the law. He you know, went to the festivals. He did all that. Did the disciples follow the law? Yes. Even after Jesus, even after the resurrection, everything, we still see the disciples going to the temple. Uh, we still see them uh, honoring uh, Shabbat or the Sabbath, right? We still see these things. Here's an, another little interesting, interesting one. Did any of Paul's, because Paul's the one that's really kind of uh, going this like the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. Did any of Paul's companions undergo circumcision? Does anybody know who? I heard it. Timothy. That's right. Timothy, who, uh, who became basically a disciple of Paul, he, he ended up being circumcised. They thought, hey, you know what, this is probably a good thing that you should do this. And when we talk about circumcision, this is what I want us to, to understand. It's not just the sign of the covenant, the physical act of circumcision, but it's rather a euphemism for keeping the whole law. So whenever you see that in Scripture, this isn't just like this one thing. It is keeping Torah. It is keeping all of the laws. And that's what they would typically mean when they said the Gentiles need to be circumcised it's not just that one thing. It's they're going to need to keep the entire law, just as the Jews do. But Paul's message, as we're going to see throughout Galatians, is that the Gentiles, they don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to, be, uh, they don't have to follow the law. In fact, they are, even though they don't have to do that, they are still full-fledged members of the body of Christ. They are full-fledged family members, sons and daughters in the kingdom. And that was his message. But circumcision is this keeping the law. It's exactly what the Gentiles were being tempted to do. They were being tempted to convert or, or rather follow, make sure that they kept Torah, do all of these things. Um, these were like the false teachers. When they would come in, they were teaching this, and they actually had some pretty good reasons of why they would want to become Jewish. Uh, and if, I don't know if y'all realize this, but really the first 200 years of, say, Christianity, like especially in, as far as the Romans go, they considered Christianity a sect of Judaism. Like it wasn't a separate thing. It was a sect of Judaism. And so 
these Gentile believers were being tempted to convert to Judaism to follow the law, and they had some good reason. And Thomas Lancaster, uh, in his book, The Holy Epistle to Galatians, wrote three reasons why Gentiles would want to convert. One was Jewish status granted them legal protection under Roman law. Under Roman law, Judaism was, there were eight religions, you know, yeah, eight religions that were recognized by Rome, and Judaism was one of them. And so if you were Jewish, you did not have to worship the emperor. Like there's this whole deal about emperor worship and all that, and so if you were Jew, you did not, you were excluded from that. Uh, Also, Jewish status granted them the right to intermarry with Jewish believers, Remember, the Jews were very conscious about intermarriage, right, into uh, the Gentiles and to other faiths. And so if you weren't part of the Jewish community, then you couldn't intermarry with Jewish believers. And then also, Jewish status eliminated social amb- ambiguity. I can't not speak tonight, sorry. Um, this is something that if you can imagine yourself Going to a Jewish synagogue, being like, you know, I really like this God thing. I really like being a part of these believers. But if you aren't converting fully to Judaism, you're still on the outskirts. You're still on the outside. I mean, they would probably welcome you in. They would say, hey, we want you to come. Uh, We want you to learn more about God. But until you uh, keep the laws, keep the commandments, you're not a part of the community. And so these were like the kind of three uh, major reasons why people want to convert. And on top of that, you had these false teachers coming in, which is where Paul is really addressing these things. They're coming in and they're saying that you have to follow the law to be declared justified, to be saved, right? Yeah, you've got Jesus, and Jesus, he's our sin offering, but to have this like continual thing going to be justified, you have to follow the law. That's what Paul was addressing. And so tonight we're going to look at two events, two separate events, similar events, but separate events. One is uh, we're going to continue where we left off in Galatians, and the other one will be in Acts. In, in these events, and primarily the one in Acts, we're going to see the early church leaders navigate the difficult waters of binding and loosing. Has anybody ever heard that term before? Yep. There is, we'll look at a passage where Jesus mentioned binding and loosing. So when we left last week, <clears throat> we had finished Galatians 1. Paul had had this amazing transformational experience, and he ended up in Jerusalem talking with the church leadership, and they basically said, hey, man, go out, preach the message. You know, you, you're on fire. And so that's where we see him. They give him the blessing to go preach the gospel. And him and his companions, they set out. So let's pick up in chapter 2. And this is very interesting, okay? It says, then after 14 years, think about that. He's been preaching 14 years. I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. Excuse me. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented them uh, to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. So he says, I go to them, and I'm going to preach what I preach to them. All right? And this is interesting. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Remember, he is speaking to Gentiles. He's speaking to Jews also, but he's given this kind of history lesson, right? As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. He's talking about Peter, James, these guys, these top dogs, right? They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle 
to the circumcised was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. I, I, when I read this and, and the accounts in Acts, I'm so fascinated by this because this is, this is looking into the interactions of the early church leaders. We, we get to see them navigate uh, difficult things. And, it, and it should, we should take pause and look at this and how we handle things and how we interact with each other. Um, first, I, I want to say, uh, by looking at this passage, we see the humility of Paul. Think about this. He's been preaching for 14 years, yet he comes back to church leadership, preaches to them and say, am, am I preaching right? Like, is this okay? Am I, what I'm preaching, is that okay? That takes a lot of humility. If you've been doing something for so long and you are so dedicated and you are so passionate, but you still come back to say, hey, guys, is it okay? This is, I just wanted to make sure because we've had some issues arise and I want to make sure that what I'm preaching is okay. I don't want to pre- be preaching something different than you, what you're preaching. That takes a lot of humility. You, you really have to kind of take yourself and your pride and really set it aside, right? Because I would, I think, you know, I know for myself, but I think we would all agree, Paul was a, extremely passionate, and he was, he's very powerful in his preaching. And so we see the humility of Paul. Can I dre- address a little bit of Paul's humility? Yeah, absolutely. So the, I, I find this really interesting, um, and Jeremy highlighted this, this, the last sentence of verse 2 in that passage. Paul says, I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. What I find interesting there is Paul, who spent three years with the Holy Spirit before he ever came back to preach to anybody, still has the ability to stop and go, wait, am am I getting this right? And I find so many times we just, we know it. We know it. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says. I already know. And the way I know it is how it is. And Paul, who spent time with the Holy Spirit and Jesus, was brave enough to say, I really need some accountability from some other believers to make sure that what I'm saying, that what I am preaching, is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So I think that's really cool that Paul was, was humble enough to not just go, oh, you know what, guys? I was with Jesus. Y'all can't tell me nothing. Paul had the humility to say, I may not have this right, so y'all keep me in check. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and and then we should all stop and, and really take a look at ourselves and make sure that, you know, when we do this with each other, that we don't put ourselves, maybe maybe some of us are, are further along and say I would in our walk with Christ, right? It can be very easy and also very dangerous for us to think that we're higher than others just because we think we have it all together, all right? So we need to be very careful in that. Secondly, we see the recognition of kingdom work. So we see here, because Paul brings Titus. Now, if you know anything about Titus, he's not just a Greek. He is from the island of Crete, which in their day was like, he was like barbaric. I mean, like, these, like they had this whole thing about the Cretans, and they were like a... So he is like a, a Greek Greek, right? Like, he is the worst of the worst, and they bring him along, this pastor, a Greek pastor they have commissioned, and bring him to the disciples and all that, and they say, is this, is this okay, right? Does he need to be circumcised? And they're like, no, no, that's awesome. This, this, we see the work that you are doing, Paul. We see the work in the Gentiles, and even in this guy right here, Titus. We see the work that, that God and how he is moving and his kingdom is expans, expanding. And so they recognize the work that has already been done. But then lastly, we see the acknowledgement of different ministries. And I think this is kind of important too because they basically come to the, I say conclusion, but recognition of saying, you know what, Paul, you are doing great with the Gentiles. Like it is apparent and evident that God is sending you 
to the Gentiles. That's not our specialty. Like the disciples with Jesus, right? They say, we are being commissioned for the circumcised. We're going to the Jews. But we see the work you are doing and keep pressing on. Like you, ha- God is investing in you. You are investing in the Gentiles and it is evident that God is moving. And so we are sending you with, uh, with this blessing and it is, it is, we just know God's going to do uh, great things. And here's the thing. They recognize because the, what can happen, and if you, if you deal a lot with ministries in a church, you can get this, um, my ministry is more important than yours mentality. That's uh, another dangerous thing in a church that you can see is where it's like, well, you know, because, or maybe this area is, is uh, maybe it's growing, maybe it's seeing, excelling and seeing growth. And so we say, oh, man, this is awesome. And then you f- forget about a ministry over here. No, they said, we see both ministries. They're both valid, and they're both making kingdom impact, whether it's large, whether it's small, whatever it is. And so they recognize those different ministries. Yeah, so there's so much, there's so much good going on here in this chapter in Galatians. And I'd love to say that, that we get this right now because we've got all the resources to go back and read. But uh, I, I got a question for you. How many of you have been a church member somewhere for 20-plus years? A lot of you. How many of you have ever experienced a church split? I think there were more hands wow. that raised their hand. Wow. So what we're seeing here is something that we feel today. We split churches over silly things. Sometimes we split churches over serious things. And what they're doing here is fighting to hold the church together. They're fighting to compromise and work together to make this work. Uh, And you know what? In Galatians here, we see Paul's addressing this, and he's got this humility to ask them, hey, guys, am I right? And wouldn't it be great if once they all said, yeah, this is good, if everything just went smooth from there? Wouldn't that be fantastic? But I don't think that's what we see. Paul has to address this over and over again. And uh, the Jerusalem Council is a, a meeting of these apostles along with Paul. And the Jerusalem Council happened uh, almost certainly. It happened after Galatians. And we're going to see that in the book of Acts. That's this next passage that we're going to read. And what we're going to see is that even after Paul's addressed this with these same guys, it's still a conversation that's having to be had over and over again. So as we read this, we're going to be in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. And then I'm going to skip down a little and read 24 through 29. And as we're reading, I want you to pay attention to something. There's three things I want you to see. I want you to see what's being said. I want you to see who's involved, the parties that are involved. And I want you to see the discussion that's taking place. So Acts chapter 15. While y'all are finding that, let me, let me just say this. I know y'all think y'all gave Jeff the night off, but y'all should see how hard it is for him to sit there. and yeah, He's sitting there like... <laughs> he's holding his mouth shut. He wants to talk so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, 
for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. I love how he pointed out that they nor their ancestors can, can even carry this yoke. And here we are trying to yoke an entire new group of people with this same yoke. Verse 12. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now we're going to skip down to verse 24 and read through 29. This is a letter to the believers. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So we're going to look at the three parties at work here. So the first party that we see is the Pharisaic or the circumcision party. Do we know this word Pharisee? Have we dealt with this at any point in the Bible? continuously. Now, let me tell you what's interesting about this. Peter did point out that even we can't keep the law and our ancestors can't keep the law. Why are you trying to put the law on the Gentiles, something that we could not even obtain? Do you think the Pharisees were keeping the law in the time of Jesus? They were doing their best. They were doing their best. They were doing their best. But what Jesus pointed out to the Pharisees was, hey guys, you're trying to get the law. You're trying to do this but you're doing it at the sake of not loving people. You're killing people for not following the law when that's never what this has been about. It's been about love. And so even the Pharisees who have been doing this for thousands of years are struggling, and now some of the the Jews are going, no, no, they have to follow the law. They have to be circumcised. They have to follow the commands. And what we see here is this Pharisaic party or the circumcision party has a voice in what we're reading here. And... They're, well, I, I'd like to point out, they're a part of the church. Right. Yes, the, yes they are. These, like, it's not just like the Pharisees. This is the Pharisee party, but these are church members. Yes. So just think about that. This isn't people necessarily who have infiltrated, infiltrated the church. They are members, and like Andy said, they have a voice in the church. So just that's kind of... <laughs> so, yeah, and, and that was their deal is they're trying to say, you've got to follow Jesus and the law. So that's that's our first party. That's our first party. So that would be a hard argument to make since Jesus himself followed the law. It would be hard to argue against this because, you know, Jesus did follow the law. Mm-hmm. But we see this, this party, the, the circumcision party. I almost said uncircumcision. The, the Pharisaic party within the church. The second party that we see is Paul and Barnabas. And I think I think we agree that I think we agree with what Paul and Barnabas believe, that it's faith through Jesus Christ. And Paul and Barnabas are bringing this concept to these Jews who are following law and trying to burden the Gentiles. But uh, this position is, is what we're all comfortable with because this is what we're used to. And, and why would it be any different? I mean, it seems like that's exactly what the Gospels are telling us. And then we've got the third party. We've got the church leadership. So this is John, James, 
Peter. And the disciples, really. All of these are guys who walked with Jesus. And you would think that there would have been an immediate response to the other parties on the matter. And surely this is something that the disciples would have been preaching and teaching. But what we see is that they actually have to meet to consider the matter. All right, so now let's talk a little bit about that binding and loosing that Jeremy brought up. And we get to get a a small glimpse of this. And, And this is kind of a new concept for me because I've never considered it in this way. But it is so neat when you go back and look where Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was telling them that what you bind here on earth will be bound in heaven and what you loose here on earth will be loosed in heaven. And we get to see the early church actively doing this. They are loosing and binding something here. And, and have y'all, t- y'all heard this term, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about, binding and loosing. Have you ever considered that binding and loosing is an agreement among believers to do something or to not do something? So, so let's look at, let's look at uh, what, what they're saying here. It has been an agreement to follow the law by all the Jews. It is an agreement that they have all made. And now the church is, is coming together. The leadership is coming together. And it is verse, let me find the verse where it is. I think it's 27, is that right? No. No, 28. 28. Verse 28. I want you to read what it says. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And the Holman Christian, I believe, had worded it a little bit differently. Yeah, words that I think like, uh, I think it's, it says it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours. And ours. And what I find interesting is they included themselves in this decision mm-hmm. to release Gentiles from the law. But they also did another thing. They also bound them to something else. Do you see what they bound them to? Verses, verse 29, you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. Now, this, this seems like a whole lot simpler thing to, take, to keep up with than the 6,600 laws that the Jews had to follow. So, so they're looking at what the Gentiles are doing, and they're going, hey, guys, it is evident to us that the Holy Spirit is moving among y'all, and you're not circumcised, and you're not following law. And they come together, and they meet and they let go, they loose, with the Holy Spirit, they loose the law from the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. But they then turn around and bind with them these other things about sexual immorality, eating the sacrifice of animals, and don't, drink, don't partake of blood. Uh, this is such a neat thing because when well, you think of binding and loosing... Well, I was going to say, too, they, the disciples loose the requirements... To follow Torah from the Gentiles. That's right. That's what I meant. That's, yeah. that's what I was saying, I guess. The Gentiles. So that meant the Jews that followed Jesus were still going to do Torah. They were still going to follow Torah. That's, that's hard for us to understand. Well, let me, let, me, let me throw that out there to, to help you understand this better. Who was the covenant made with? The covenant of the Ten Commandments. Who was that covenant made with? Moses. What was Moses. A Jew. And what did God say to Moses? He says, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. Mm -hmm. The covenant was between God and the Jews. The Gentiles were never in this covenant that God made. So Paul is arguing for the Gentiles that this is not between them and God. When Jesus came, he invited them to be a part of the kingdom, but they were not bound by the covenant of Moses. So I find that very interesting. So let's look at... um, the definition of binding and loosing. So binding and loosing is originally a Jewish Mishnaic phrase also mentioned in the New Testament, as well as in the Targum. And I had to ask what the heck the Targum was. But the Targum is the Aramaic version of Scripture. So it has some New Testament, it has a lot of Old Testament in it, but it's in Aramaic. So the Targum and the Jewish, Jewish Mishnaic phrase is found... And here's what it says. Well, I was going to say, well, and if you want to know the Jewish, the Mishnah is kind of like the Jewish, uh, think of it like a commentary. It's kind of like that. They also had law. They, that's where they started adding laws and things like that. Because um, you, you had, in Jesus' day, they had about 3,000 laws. And then today there's about 6,000 something. So 
the Mishnah would have been in Jesus' day. Okay, so that's where that mish, that phrase, the Mishnaic phrase of binding and loosing, it comes out of that. And so, in the Jewish usage of the word to bind and loose, it simply means this: to forbid by any indisputable authority, and to permit by an indisputable authority. So this community of believers has now come together. They are the authority who followed Christ. They walked with Christ, all of them. Paul, Peter, James, John. The ones that didn't are Barnabas, but they are disciples of the men who did walk with Christ. And they meet, and with the Holy Spirit, they come to this conclusion that the Gentiles are not bound by this. They loose this from the Gentiles. And they bind them with these four new things of of to me, which seems just like obvious things, sexual immorality, don't eat, uh, don't drink blood. I'm not sure who's doing that, but don't do it, y'all. It's really weird. <laughs> Your neighbors are going to think it's weird. <laughs> it's kind of gross. <laughs> it's kind of gross. So this community of believers has come together, and they've put the matter to rest. They have settled it, and that this was known as the Jewish Council. And this, like I was saying before, was almost certainly after Paul was writing this letter in Galatians. But Paul's already addressing this in Galatians years before this Jewish council decides this is correct. So, so let's look at uh, those decisions. I want, I want to reiterate the decisions. So the disciples loose the requirement to follow Torah from the Gentiles. Not the Jews, just the Gentiles. And he bound, so the disciples, they bound requirements for food idol worship, and sexual immorality. So this binding and loosing thing, I don't know if y'all realize this, we've been doing this for generations and we don't even know it. You know how many denominations there are in in Protestants? Every community is binding and loosing together and we didn't even realize this. We're agreeing on things we believe and agreeing on things we don't believe. And, And that's such a beautiful picture to see that God's that Jesus even addressed it saying that if you bind it here, we're going to bind it in heaven. And if you loose it here, we're going to loose it in heaven. So when we bind together as a community of believers, God is honoring that. And he's saying, if that's your understanding of what I'm saying, then I'm going to go with you, okay? Because you're trying. Because you're giving it a shot. You're trying to do what I've called you to do. And so for the Gentiles, the disciples loose the responsibility from this Mosaic covenant that God made with Israel. But he bound them to the Noahic covenant that God made with all mankind. So I, I didn't even address that until just now, that, that yeah. we are bound by the Noahic covenant. Because when God made his covenant with Noah, we all were descended from that. So we all are under the Noahic covenant, but only the Jews are under the Mosaic covenant. Am I making any sense there, y'all? Okay, all right. All right, just making sure y'all are... with this decision, I do like the way the NIV puts it because it says in that letter, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Like like the Holy Spirit was, you know, just another party in the room. Yeah, sounds good to and me. And he's like, Let's you kind of like on. make a decision, you look over at him and he's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, sounds yeah. good to me. Huh? Whatever, y'all, whatever y'all think. <laughs> John was saying, he was pointing out that in the passage it talks about the... We were talking about the disciples being in this room meeting and there's another party involved and it is the Holy Spirit. And he was pointing out that it says the Holy Spirit and us. So it even puts the Holy Spirit's name first. So not only are they putting their stamp of approval on what they're saying, they're putting the stamp of the Holy Spirit on what they're saying. And that, like Jeremy was saying, in the NIV it says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So Jeremy said it's like, yeah, sounds good. What's, what's next? And I think the importance of 
So, so in, in my view, the importance of having the Holy Spirit being mentioned in this conversation, uh, do you ever have a thought that just like leaves oh, your head all of a sudden? Where's John? Let me, let me coax you. Where, where's our authority found? Where do we find authority? Right. Yeah. Well, um, Oh, okay. So, so they would have mentioned the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. Because to, to use God's word or to use God's name in something that he has not been agreed upon was blasphemy. Absolutely. Right? That's right. And, and they would have known that full well, right? So I think that's kind of the, you know, we know this for certain. Yeah. And this is, this is why we're willing to say it. Well, see, yeah, yeah. That's and see, right. I think that they, I, I believe that they sat down and and genuinely considered this. And and I'm not talking about like I think they sat down and said, okay, guys, we have to look at this with a kingdom perspective, a church perspective. And my thoughts, I wonder because. And we're going to see where Jesus, where he tells Peter about the whole binding loosening. He says, you have the authority. You do. Right? The Holy Spirit's in agreement here. But my mind goes to what if they would have bound us up to the law? They had the authority. They had the authority to do that. And that's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we'll see that the fruit of our belief yeah. is that we are, because Jesus addressed the laws, and if you look at the first ten that God gave, the first four address loving God, and the last six address loving people. Mm-hmm. And Jesus harped on love God, love people, love your neighbor as yourself. And when you look at it from that perspective the evidence that you are a believer is that love. You can weigh the law in love. And if you don't use love as the measurement, then the law is just a set of rules and nothing more. So the love is still going to be present in the Gentiles, even though they have been loosed from following the law. And and no matter what translation you read on this, it looks like it's this community of believers with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And he, they, they point out the Holy Spirit in every single translation. It's a great point, John. Uh, they point out the Holy Spirit in every translation, but with the Holy Spirit's guidance, this community of believers has the authority to interpret Scriptures, and then they have to hold each other accountable to the interpretations. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's where, where we have to really think about, because I'm telling you, this... When I began studying this, the concept binding and loosing, it can it can be uh, a little overwhelming. All right, and think again. Think about those disciples. They were coming together and trying to figure out something for the whole church. You know, at that time, it wasn't as you know you really have denominations at that point. All right. It was we're the we're the church leaders, we're the ones that are kind of giving the 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 go aheads on missions and and you know the gospel that's being preached and um and so they come together and I love that because it it says you know you you only read a few verses here, but it says they met to consider and after careful consideration, like this could have taken days. Like, we, we think, oh, they met, like, they went to a side room, like, one business meeting, they figured it out, right? Just one business meeting, they ironed it all out. They could have met for days really discussing the, the back and forth, like, hey, well, I mean, Jesus followed the law, right? And, and we've had the law. We know what it does, you know, for us. We still follow the law. We feel like Jesus wants us to do that. We're Jews. And, you know, we've had that covenant with God, that whole thing. But it was after careful consideration that they loosed those restrictions. And so when we think about binding and loosing, this is not something to be done lightly. It is not something uh, 
to be done quickly. Um, there's, there's, I mean, there are some things that we can probably meet really quickly and, and, you know, figure out. Um, but as Andy's been saying, as a church, as a community of believers, we can agree to bind up something. We can agree. And whether it's through interpretation of scriptures, maybe the scriptures don't even mention it. We can agree to bind up something or lose something along with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's involvement. And, and we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about this. And here's the deal. We're going to talk about the law. Like Galatians is great for that. Paul gives this whole argument of you know, why you don't need the law, what the law was for, and all that. We're going to get to all that. Because that's the whole deal. It's like, well, what is the law even for? And so we're going to get to that. But when I think about this, this interaction, the Jerusalem Council, and them meeting, and listen, think about this, James. James is the one who speaks up and says, hey, and, and this is just kind of my take, you know, for what it's worth. He's like, well, we can't hold them to the Mosaic Covenant, but we can hold them to the Noahic Covenant, Right? And I'm not saying he was all about law, but you read James, the book of James, and it's it's although he's very clear to point out faith, he's a lot about works too, isn't he? But that's think about it. He was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. That his members were Jews, and so he would have had, he would have you know been coming with that perspective. But I can see see Peter, you know, I can see him. Uh, He's grown a lot as a leader, and I can see him recalling perhaps the moment that Jesus told them they had the authority to bind and loose. Now, y'all probably don't remember the last time I preached over there. I try to do it, you know, far and few, you know, like just that's how I do it. But the last time that I preached, it was actually on, and I'll just tell you this. You can ask Jeff and Andy and Molly, because I've been preparing this message, and I was like, you know what, I really need to go back and look where Jesus actually said it, right? You know, just to make sure we cover all the bases. And when I realized where he said it, my mind was blown. I had to go, and I was running to tell Molly and Jeff, and we were just discussing things. And, like, when Jesus tells Peter that he has this authority, they're in Caesarea Philippi. This is where, you know, Jesus, he takes the disciples and he, he asks them, he says, who do you say I am, right? And Peter's the one who said, you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, that's absolutely right. Absolutely right. You, man, what you said is true. And he said, I'm gonna, I'm, your name is no longer uh, Cephas, right? Or it's no longer... Uh, it, yeah, it's no longer Cephas now. It'll be Peter. It's going to be Petros. That's the word he uses. And he said, on this Petra, I will build my church. And if you remember when I preached, we talked about, you know, Jesus is our rock. He's the rock of our salvation. There's no doubt about that. But where they were standing, in Caesarea Philippi, which was a pagan place to go, like you, the Jews wouldn't have been caught there. Jesus was taking the disciples, and he was taking them to show them something. And in the side of a huge cliff face, it's still there today, was a temple to the god Pan. And they had a, a festival every year called Pandemonium, and it was, it was just that if you read up about it. I just, it'll make you blush. Just go ahead and let you know. <laughs> but I imagine Jesus standing there and saying, you know, that's right, I'm going to call you Peter. And guess what? Even here, even here, in this place, this rock right here, I will build my church. Even in the most pagan of places, the most terrible of terrible. And then he says in Matthew 16, verse 19, talking to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I see... Like, I can imagine Peter in that room and saying, guys, I hear all the arguments. But do you remember where we were when Jesus told us where he was going to build his church? Do you remember where we were in the 
like the worst of the worst places, among the Gentiles, among the pagans. And he told us then that we would have this authority to bind up, to loose. And so they do. They loose the restrictions for the Gentiles from Torah. Here's the thing, church. Jesus trusts believers to make kingdom decisions on behalf of the community, on behalf of the church. Kingdom decisions. But we must lovingly and carefully use this gift wisely with grace. This is this is was a concept again. This whole binding and loosing, I had never really thought about it. And as Andy said, many you know over the years, churches do this and don't even realize it. If you go to another denomination, they say, "Oh, you can't do this, you can't do that." It's because they read it in scripture somewhere, and that's what they follow. And for their community, they bound that up, and they've loosed in other areas. But we have to be very careful when using this. So, what does this mean for us? What does it mean? What does it mean for our church? Can we change the traditions of old or even create new ones? Just think about that for a second. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Was, is there anything in the present that could fall under this concept of binding and loosing? We've heard other denominations and other faiths basically authorizing that way. I'm thinking, I'm thinking here. Jeff and I, we talked at length about this, and you know, I was like, you know, is this something you know, we, should, we should talk about? And he said, yeah, let's, let's, let's bring it up. Let's talk about our deacons. Hmm? You could just make it an exception. <laughs> well, think about think about deacons. And listen, I am I am posing things. All right, I am I am not saying we should change anything. I want to be very clear in this. I'm not throwing ideas out there to change or anything like that. I'm just thinking. Let's take our deacons for example. Scriptures say the husband of but one wife. Now, traditionally, we have taken that as married. Only once, and not divorced and remarried. But it doesn't address that, technically. Is that something that we can, could sit down as a church, discuss, hear both sides of the argument, and then say, you know what? No, we do want to hold ourselves maybe to this standard. I'm not going to say a higher standard. I'm going to go as far to say that. Or do we, maybe we might come to the conclusion of saying, you know what? Um, you know what? Jesus is in this thing. And you know what? Maybe this person here, maybe they weren't saved. Maybe they weren't saved whenever they got divorced. But God is coming in. Jesus has come in and changed their life. And you can see the change in them. Listen, I think all of us would agree. There are men in this church who have been divorced before. I could see them as deacons because they serve. And so, again, I'm not saying that's something we changed. That's not for me. As a community, though, this whole concept of binding and loosing is it's interesting. I have, a, I have one more question there before I close. Because this is... Go ahead. So, so this, this concept of them loosening the law... To me, it seems like leaders sitting around the table and said, what, what is going to drive more people away from Christ? Yeah. Here, let let me, let's, let's do this. People can hear you. Yeah. <laughs> it might not be a good thing. All right, so as, as those leaders are sitting around the table, um, you, you have to think, I think, or at least I do, I have to think in the concept of me, what is going to draw me to or push me away from Christ. And these men were trying to make fertile fields out of deserts. You know, they were going in where people didn't know and didn't care. Or like Jeremy said, when Jesus took them to that pagan place and he was trying to tell them, this is where you're going to plant seeds, 
if they went in and said, look, we want you to be part of our church, but you got to follow the law. They'd be like, man, you take that and leave. You know, nobody's going to be able to do that. But with them loosing that and basically saying, look, here's the, here's the four things we think are very important, right? And let's start out with the six, right? Love God and love others, right? And then these four, right? So if we could do all that, then we've accomplished it. But, but I think, you know, I'm thankful that they, that they loosened it for me because I would look at it and go, no, can't do it. You know, I'm, I'm, why, why even try, right? So there's one, one final question I want us to think about when it, when it comes to this, because I know this is probably new territory for most of us. How well do we react to change? <laughs> it is not. <clears throat> I wonder... You know, we, we, we see in Acts, you know, what happens, and they send the letter out. And it says, it even says, if you go look, it says they the church in agreement say, okay, well, we're going to send out this letter to the Gentiles. We're going to do this. But you can't help but wonder if there were people still there going, man, this is not, this is not what I think is right. Don't we do that? The idea when it comes to the, the binding and loosing, is that when a community agrees to it, you will even if you even if you disagree, you will still follow it. I remember, um, I remember talking about deacons. Come back around to that when I was deacon, uh, first came on was when they had introduced uh, the new uh, paper, yeah, the questionnaire and all that stuff. There was a lot of controversy around that. I know y'all may not realize that because now when we we have someone who uh, want, or is you know asked to be a deacon, they have to fill out a questionnaire first, and it's you know what they believe. It's all this. It's it's really good. It really is. But I remember coming on, and that was like the big deal. We were like, okay, we've got a lot of kickback from this. What do we do? How do we address this? And John, I think you were there too, and that and all that. And and I don't remember who it was, but one of our deacons was he he's like we we discussed this and we said he said I don't agree with this but whatever we you know come to whatever conclusion we come to I will do it and I, I there was so much wisdom in that that I found like I remember even then like you know what that is that is putting pride aside that is putting all that and putting aside I said you know what I, I don't think we should have this. I mean, people have been deacons for a long time in this church, and now we're saying we got to do this. We're changing things up. But if we in this in this room decide, you know what, we still want to follow this, then I'm, you won't hear a word from me otherwise. I'm pretty sure I remember who it was, but it was after many meetings. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was, it was, there was a lot of discussion around that. And that that is that was an that was an area of binding and loosing that we didn't even know we were doing. And so, what's really cool is we have revisited that more than once, yeah. and bound some things and loosened some things. That's right. <laughs> so, we just have. in that one area. So yeah. Any, you got anything you want to add before our before our close? I was done, but you know, I, and one of the things that you will see in this too, uh, when you talk about when you talk about Paul and Barnabas, did they stay together? They had a disagreement mm-hmm. about something, right? Yeah. So sometimes when you bind, you may lose some community members who don't agree to the binding, but it doesn't make it wrong because if you agree as a community, it's okay for somebody to not agree, and it's okay for somebody to move on and find somewhere that agrees with what they believe or what they want to follow. Um, But Paul and Barnabas did not stay together, but they were both still very effective for the kingdom of God. So just because we disagree with someone or can't come to an agreement with some people, it doesn't make us right and them wrong. It just makes us different. Mm -hmm. I can't can't tell you what your convictions are because that's between you and Jesus. My convictions are between me and Jesus. 
so I have to follow what I feel he's leading me to, and everybody else has to follow what they feel he's leading me to. Yes, and our convictions are our own. And I will tell you, without diversity, the kingdom is boring. Yeah, true. And diversity is what makes us the world. It's what makes us so interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, if everybody played the guitar, then nobody would like me. So (laughs) I like that not everybody (laughs) plays the guitar. (laughs) So that diversity is important to the kingdom because there will be people that the people who may disagree with me, there will be people they can reach that I cannot. And there will be people that I can reach that they cannot. So sometimes that being able to loose and bond, uh, bind things and, and maybe even have to lose a few people now and again, if it's all done in love and with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, then it is what we've been called to do. so passionate but think about he went back to the church and as far as this whole binding losing he was like he made sure he's like okay guys am i preaching right like we've had this discussion i told you what i was going to be preaching and y'all said that was okay (laughs) yeah Yeah, I've really grown to appreciate Paul. Um, I obviously love the Gospels, love seeing, reading what Jesus said. But Paul really, when you start digging in, helped us, us navigate a lot of things that we would have been kind of like going, what, what do we do with this? So I want to close, and I'm going to close with something I, I wrote down. Uh, and I thought really hard about this, and, and so I'm just going to read this. <clears throat> As I sit here and contemplate the concept of binding and loosing, I try and feel what the disciples felt. I wonder if they understood how much their decision would shape the future of Christianity. Or were they simply concerned with how this issue affected their church in the present? Either way, I imagine the weight of such a decision falls heavy on one's mind and spirit. The thought that we have this authority is almost too much to bear in itself. How do we feel about this? I imagine some find that having the authority to bind and loose is fascinating. You may be thinking of things that need changing in the church to keep up with the times or change policies that seem archaic or even unscriptural in your mind. I imagine others are worried about binding and loosing. The idea that we could simply change church tradition at a will is frightening or at the very least concerning. Traditions have served the church well, and if it isn't broke, then why fix it? I personally find the concept of binding and loosing extremely humbling. I struggle to comprehend how a good, perfect, and powerful God could put this much responsibility into human hands. How can we, who have been selfish, who can be selfish, self-centered, and self-righteous, be given authority over such things? As my mind spirals into the possibilities and pitfalls of such a task, I feel God take me by the hand. He speaks softly and says, I trust you. I trust you to make the right decisions. I do not see you the way you see yourself. 
You see filthy rags not worth loving, while I see something I created in my image. You are my son. Remember, I am giving you this gift to help one another. Please don't use this authority to oppress. Rather, use it to set the captives free. Always work for the betterment of the community. Don't be afraid to make difficult choices, because if you're going to be a prince or princess in my kingdom, then you will have to start making kingdom decisions.